It's so good to have you guys back. Boy, the campus just gets so quiet and depressing. I'm like, the first day or two, it's kind of good because we get a lot of work done. But then after that, it's like, okay, we're, we're ready for you guys to be back. And I know I've talked to a couple of you. Some of you, I feel like, had really refreshing and wonderful breaks. Others, maybe not so much. But we're glad you're here. And um, we're really excited for all that this semester holds for you and all the good things that God is going to do. But I wanted just um, to share with you some thoughts, some things that actually over this last week of prayer, I really felt God speak to me. And I wondered at the time when he spoke to me if this was something just for me or if I was going to get an opportunity to share it. And when Pastor Mike asked me to speak, I thought, wonderful, this, this, is, this is what God is, is saying. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the, that today. You know, I've been hearing a lot of people in recent months, probably in the last three or four months, talk about revival. You know, talk about the things that, that, that God is getting ready to do. And, and I know some of you, even in this room, you, you've heard things and you've sensed, you know, God moving in, in special ways. And people over at EGC and leaders and uh, even intercessors have come up to me and said, you know, God is really getting ready to pour out his spirit on our community. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, when I was a student here in the 90s, and some of you may have heard about it a little bit, but it was a really special time in the church, really, not just here at Elam, where God's spirit was just moving in such a powerful way. And uh, I remember there were service after service happening where it was almost like every night was a service, uh, either here at the school or at the church uh, down the way. And, um, and it was just so powerful, people falling under the spirit and, and laughing. And, and I'd never seen anything like that before. I grew up in a Methodist church originally and then uh, non-denominational a little bit later. But I had never had that kind of experience before. And I remember I was an RA at the time. And, you know, these, these girls would come in and they, they were so incapacitated by God's spirit <laughs> that they had to have their friends, like, drag them in the dorm. And so they're coming down the hall at, like, midnight. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I guess quiet time is, is out the door because <laughs> there is no quiet time happening. And that's probably a good thing, right? The, the quiet time is a rule I did not need to enforce this evening. <laughs> Actually, it was many evenings. But as I was thinking about the beautiful parts of revival and the, the revival that I personally experienced even here at Elam, the Lord has been speaking to me and, and, the, and the, the realization that, that though it's so beautiful when God moves in the sanctuary, when God moves in the tab, when God moves in, in a church service, when God moves at a conference, it's so much more exciting when God moves his people to dark places and when those people become a catalyst for his kingdom. That that's the beauty, that's the really beautiful moving of God, is not, not just here, although this is wonderful, we love this, we need this, but it's when God is sending out his people. And, but first, I want to ask you, um, so I want to talk to you a little bit today, I'm going to actually introduce a couple people in history uh, that really were people who God moved uh, at, a, at the right place at the right time, and they were a catalyst uh, for the church. So I want to talk about those people. But before I, oh, I'm sorry, thanks for the reminder. If you have on, does anybody have the YouVersion app on their phone? Okay, if you have it, um, go ahead and pick up your phone. I know you're not supposed to 
pick up your phone in church, right? But pick up your phone and pull down. There's a, on the right-hand side, there's a little menu bar. Click events. And then search Elam. And you'll find this message. I thought it might be a little easier than having paper and losing it and, you know. <laughs> Everybody getting it? Am I finding it? And I also sent you an email with a link if you don't have that app. So nobody's, nobody's left behind. All right. So we're talking about being in the right place at the right time. But I want to ask you a question. Has anyone in here ever been at the wrong place at the wrong time? Anybody had that happen? <laughs> are, are like a thousand terrible memories filling your mind right now, you know, embarrassing stories and, you know, horrible things that if you, if you had just been in a, at that place five minutes before or five minutes later, it would not have happened. But you were there at the worst possible time. Well, who's heard about Pastor Mike's beaver experience? Did he share that with all of you? We had a lot of fun two years ago with that, didn't we, Rachel? <laughs> we actually wrote a song about it. Uh, we wrote it to uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer was the tune, but it was Pastor Mike Got Bit by a Beaver. <laughs> and we reenacted it, and it was really, really, really funny. But we all have those kinds of moments. Sometimes you, you just, it's like you have to laugh at the ridiculously bad circumstances that happen to you. All right, I have a couple pictures for you. I, I tried to find some memes because I know you're the meme generation. So I asked my son to help me out to find some memes, but... I am sorry, I just do not get the humor of memes. I tried. I was like, I just, I, it made me, I just can't, I can't get it. So I was like, I, I'm going to Google Images. Sorry. Um, but here's my first picture for you. Let's talk about being the wrong place at the wrong time. I've actually got a little pointer here. So you see these nice, sweet ladies, you know, just trying to take a selfie, just enjoying the beauty. And, uh, oop, wrong side. And, and look at this little, this guy here. <laughs> charging their picture. Now, Nathan thinks it was photoshopped. What do, what do you think? I don't know. I kind of don't want to think it's photoshopped because that's a really funny, funny experience to me. Okay, let's look at the next one. All right, now what about this one? Okay, so when I look at this picture, I have a couple questions in my mind, right? First of all, what happened to the driver? Did he escape that? <laughs> And second of all, like, what happened? You know, how did that experience happen? And I thought those guys kind of looked like the, mov the guys in the movie Tron, the motorcycle riders. Did you, did you notice that? No? Okay. <laughs> all right, let's look at the next one. Okay, now how many feel like this is your life sometimes? You're just minding your own business, not bothering anybody, right? And boom, a rock falls on you. I love it. I love it. Wrong plate. And like my emoji up at the top there. <laughs> All right. So wrong place, wrong time. But what I really want to talk to you about is being at the right place and the right time. And when, when, when the moment converges and the divine moment happens where you are the right person at the right moment, you've got the gifts, the qualifications, the calling, the personality, where God uses you. But I want to illustrate it with the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've got a little video I want to show you. It's just a short two-minute clip to introduce this man of God to you.
he left a secure pastoral position in New York City and returned on the last ship to Germany. He astounded prominent theologians with his passionate intellect. Now, Hitler viewed him as a threat. He was banned from Berlin, forbidden to speak, write, or publish. He wore the mask of a patriotic pastor, but became a double agent. In the Abwehr Intelligence Agency, he traveled to Norway, Sweden, and Switzerland. He used his ecumenical contacts to sabotage Nazi war strategies and smuggle German Jews to Switzerland. But the Gestapo uncovered the smuggling activity and Hitler discovered his assassination plot. Weeks before the inevitable fall of the Third Reich, Bonhoeffer and other Abwehr conspirators were executed by Hitler's direct command. As Dietrich was ordered to follow the guards, he pulled a fellow prisoner aside and said, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer. Has anyone ever read a book or read an article or heard about him? Anybody? Awesome man in history. So let me just tell you a little bit about him. So he was born in 1906 uh, in Germany. He was born into a, a wealthy, prominent family uh, in, in, the, in the region. His father was a psychiatrist, um, very influential in, in, the, in the place where, where their family was. And <clears throat> he was grew up in a time when the Nazi regime regime was was really heating up and and lots of political instabilities, and uh, he you know was you know as a child growing up in, in this type of uh, period of history, uh, he felt called to the ministry at 16, and really felt the Lord speaking to him that he should be a, a theologian and a, a speaker of God's word and to really reform the church, and he was very very. Uh, very, very intelligent, kind of ahead of his time in, in the way that he thought about theology. And, you know, some of the, some of the uh, people say that were in his generation that, you know, he would often challenge his professors because he was just so advanced in, in the way that he, he thought, uh, so passionate and, 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 and serious about, about the things of God and, and, the, and to think rightly about God. And so this was his gifting, this was his calling, this was the, the, the time that he grew up in. And I love this part of his life. I mean, there's probably so many, we could spend the whole day talking about his entire life. But I like, I love to consider the, the moment in his life where, uh, in the movie, it says that he had, he had an opportunity. He had an opportunity to work, uh, to do what he loved, to be a theologian, to teach, and in, in New York City, which was very far from the dangers uh, that were happening in Germany. And he had that opportunity to just do what he loved and to be away from the danger. And so he, he gets on the shore of New York City, he, you know, his, his boat lands and he's there, he's ready. And he just inside just starts to feel conflicted, like, what am I doing? My, my people are suffering. I need, I need to go back. I need to, I need to do something. And, you know, for him to go back was very different for many, for another person to go back, because, because he was so prominent and so public, and he was well-known in, in, in that Hitler was watching him. You know, he wasn't like a person that would just seep into the crowd, you know. He, was, he, knew, he knew that going back would, would put him in danger. 
And so he goes back and he goes from being a, a pastor and a teacher to being a spy, which is so cool to me. You know, he's like underground and, you know, trying to stop Hitler, trying to, to do all, disrupt, you know, the, the things that were, were happening there. And, and, of course, in his story, he lost his life because of it, you know, at the very, at the very end. But he was at the right place at the right time. You know, I think about what a divine moment is. And, and a divine moment is when our, li- when our life, who we are, becomes a doorway for God's spirit to touch the earth. That we, you know, we think about the Lord and we think about, you know, the, the, the goodness of God and the power of God. And then we think about, you know, people who don't know him and we think about the broken and we think about the needy. And it's like, yes, God could just do it. God could touch people. He could change things. But, but he doesn't do it that way. He uses, he uses us in our life and our experiences. We become that channel to go to those places. And that's what he did. I want to read a letter to you from actually a camp, a camp doctor who was at the facility that he was at when he was held prisoner. And this is how he describes Bonhoeffer. He says, I was deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. You know, I've wrestled in my life with the will of God multiple times. And I was thinking about a time in particular that we had been pastoring for about six years in Maryland. And... I just got to that point. You know, sometimes you just get to that tipping point where you're, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, and then suddenly you're not okay. And I had just gotten to that tipping point where I was just sick of it. I was sick of the pressure. I was sick of the warfare. I was sick of feeling like I had to please so many people. You know, I grew up in a family that, you know, my mom and dad were just hardworking, blue collar, you know, people who just you know, worked at their jobs and, you know, went to church and loved their family. And, and then that was it. You know, they didn't have any kind of community that they were having to steward and shape and, and sometimes be, you know, attacked by from time to time. They just didn't have that experience. So I didn't grow up in that. I wasn't familiar with that. And, and so I just got to that point where I was like, you know, there's a lot of other things we can do. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I think I want to just, you know, go do something else. And Nathan and I, we went to this service called Cleansing Stream, if anyone's heard of it. I'd never been to it before, but um, it's just basically like a spiritual renewal place conference. And so they had this moment where they, they called everybody up, and I don't even remember what the altar call was or what they were, why I went up, but I just remember going up and this very unassuming older lady just started praying for me. And... As she prayed for me, she just said this very simple phrase. She said, you are not called to the life of your family. And it was like when she said it, it was like, oh my gosh, you're right. (laughs) I remember the call of ministry at 16. And everyone looked at me like, what in the world? What? what? You want to go to Bible college? Like, what? 
I didn't even know anybody that had been to Bible college. I didn't even know what that looked like. And it's like it, it took me back at a moment to that place of decision that I made way, way, way back then. And I thought, I was right. That was what God wanted for me. And even though I don't feel like being in the ministry right now, even though my emotions and my everything is telling me, no, 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 get out of it, get out of it, get out of it, that God had called me to that. And I had that moment of decision where I had to say, okay, I'll do it. And that's, that's what he's after. That's what he's after in, in all of our lives, for that moment where we just say, yes, I'll submit, even though I don't want to. Okay, let's talk about another man. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, or if you have your Bible app, I've got it right in there for you. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 1 to 17. And I'm just going to jump in and read it for you here. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel, Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him. And he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How I have sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord? What I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here? He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened. And I won't read you the rest, but the rest of the happened is pretty awesome, where God revealed himself to his people. And Obadiah is just such a picture of faithfulness to, to, to listen to God, to, to be willing to be that doorway. You know, and, and it's just so interesting that here's this man who had, he had been faithful to God and he had done hard things before. I mean, think about it. His, his, <clears throat> the wife of his, of his Lord 
was the one that was killing the prophets, and he was helping them. You know, like just think about the danger that that would have put him in. You know, she she was she was uh, you know kind of like um, you know Anakin, right, killing off the Jedi. She was just like you know doing this horrible horrible thing, and he he stepped in, right? He used his his resources. He probably was is a wealthy man because he's working for the, the King Ahab. And he used his connections. He knew what was going on. He knew how to help them. And he just, he steps right in to be that doorway. But what I love the most about Obadiah is that he hesitated. You know, you think about, you know, realizing that he had done this such a dangerous thing before and could have been killed if it had been found out. But yet he's in another moment and he's kind of like going back and forth with Elijah. Like, you know, he's like, but I really don't want to do this, you know, and this is why. I'm, how could you ask me to do this, you know? Like, what's wrong with you? And, uh, and, and to me, that really speaks of, 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 of our hearts, you know, of, of where we're at so many times. And, you know, none of us like to, to be put in personal danger. And I have a very uh, good experience of this. You know, this wonderful husband over here who, you know, you just see him, you see him as like, kind and, you know, loving. Well, on our honeymoon, I still have forgiveness issues over this. On our honeymoon, so we went skiing, and, you know, skiing is great if you're a northerner and you've been skiing all your life, and, you know, you you ski moguls, and you're, like, you know, doing all this kind of stuff, and, and you know it really well. But skiing from a girl from Delaware who, you know, it's like flat as a board. Has anyone been to Delaware? I know Caitlin, right? There's no hills in Delaware, right? Delaware is flat. I had been skiing probably two times in my entire life. And, or maybe three, I don't know, two or three. Not very many. And so I made one concession. I said, okay, we can go on skiing for our honeymoon, but I do not want to go on any black diamond slopes because... I do not want to have a broken leg on my honeymoon. I do not want that. That is not what I want. And, and so he agreed, and, you know, we're skiing, and I'm having a good time. And guess what happens? So I'm just letting him lead me, because he's like the, the, the professional skier. So I'm like, da-da-da, enjoying the ride of the, of the, you know, lift and not paying attention. And so, so we get to where we're going, and I'm, we're following him. <laughs> And I look up, and I see, guess what? A black diamond. I see the sign. And at that point, you're stuck. You're, you're like, i got to go down this thing. And I look at him, and I'm like, how could you do this to me? <laughs> what were you thinking? And, you know, like everything in my mind is like, how do I get out of this, you know? And, and uh, so I'm, I start bartering with the, the slope guy, and I'm like, can you help me? Like... And so he finally takes pity on me. I don't remember if I was crying, but I was probably close. And, and so I get on the slope. And has everyone ever gone skiing and seen the person come back the opposite way? <laughs> has anyone ever seen that? Because it rarely happens, right? Well, I was that person. So everyone is coming up the slope. And guess who's coming the other way? <laughs> me, looking stupid. <laughs> but I didn't break a leg on my honeymoon. <laughs> And that was the goal. So it's one thing to hesitate 
and to accept defeat. Okay, so I gotta change the title. <laughs> to change the, you know, to, 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 to retreat and, you know, say, well, I, I'm not gonna break my leg. It's another thing when it's to retreat when God's asking us to do something and to take the easy way out. Because there's always an easy way out of things, right? We can always think through a scenario. We can always talk ourselves uh, out of, you know, what we really know God is calling us to do. But I think about these men. I I think about Bonhoeffer, and I think about Obadiah, and I I ask the question, why did Elijah choose Obadiah? What what was it that God saw in him? Uh, You know, why why did Elijah go to him? And there's a few things that I, I saw. One was he had the position, right? He, he had the spot. He had the connection. He was the connector with Ahab. And how did he get that spot? You know, you don't get to be the, the secondhand man of a king without a lot of hard work, right? He was like the, the Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook. You know, he, 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 ran the, he ran the thing, you know. He was the steward. He ran he ran, you know, everything that the king had, and he stewarded it, and he was faithful. And so he had the position. And he had been faithful to use, to help out before, right? He had used what he had, you know, God, often God gives us just, God gives us a little something, right? He gives us, he gives us something. He wants to see how we're going to do with it, right? For, for the RAs, he gives us a cadre. You know, for, for you, he gives you a student ministry or a church or a youth group or something, and, and he says, okay, now how, what are you going to do with this, right? How, how are you going to be faithful with me in this spot? And then as we are faithful and as we, 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 we honor the Lord and how we, we treat that responsibility, then what does he do? He, then he gives us something else, right? And then he gives us something else, and then he gives us something else. And this is how Obadiah, he was faithful in a moment when God needed him and his people were needed, needed help, and now he's being asked again. And God knew, and this is probably the biggest thing, that God knew that he loved him enough to lose everything. And you can't, there's not much more you can lose but your life, right? You can lose possessions, but, but when you're really willing to lose everything, it puts, every, it puts your whole life in perspective, right? All of your excuses, everything that you're talking to God about, none of it matters anymore. And so we learned some key lessons from, from these two men. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about what those lessons are. The first one is stewardship. And as I said before, you know, we're, we're faithful with the little. We're faithful with what God gives us. And sometimes, you know, even that passage is, is talking about finances. And that, that also is, is important in our lives, right? Because if we're responsible with our finances then we don't get in, in you know, trouble so that we can't be used by God uh, when he needs us. Um, but, that, that, but, but, the, but the principle of stewardship is so much broader than that. It's, it's, it's everything God gives us. You know, for some of you, he's given you relationships. He's given you parents. He's given you siblings. He's given you jobs. He's given you all kinds of different things that he's, he's asking you to, to be a good steward with, right? So, so you can be in the position for God to use you when, he, when he's ready. Submitting to God's will, you know, that's probably the hardest thing to do. And you know, it's not always about big things, right? It's little things, right? It's, it's you know, God's telling me to, to give up certain kind of movies or, or certain kind of 
books that I'm reading. You know, I remember I went through a period where I felt convicted reading Christian fiction, which is so ridiculous. Like, most people are like, that's crazy. What? Christian fiction? It's, they're talking about God? And, you know, but for me, when I would read it, I would just get so absorbed in the story, and I would, like, stay up hours of the night, and, like, and it was becoming an idol in my life, and God said, get rid of it. And so it, it's being willing to just, whatever, whatever he's saying, just to, you know, say, okay, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Living out of love. It, you know, I read you the, the letter that was written about Bonhoeffer. He was known as a man who was loving, right? Even to the very end. He loved the prisoners that he was with. He loved, you know, there's, like I said, I could talk to you forever about his life because there's so many great things about his life. But, you, you know, I think oftentimes we, 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 re we require others to, to live at a standard and to behave in a certain way that we ourselves don't live. You know, we expect people around us to be perfect when we ourselves are not perfect. You know, and I think the more we get close to God in, in loving each other, the more ready we are to be used by him. Because really that's what motivated his heart to come to the earth. And that's what motivates us to do hard things for God. So living a life of love and fighting for justice you know, this is the thing that really came to my mind as I was reading these stories and as I think about your generation and the things you guys are facing and will face, it's different from ours. You know, day by day you hear it in, in articles and, and the news and Christians are being looked at as haters. And, you know, to follow biblical values is becoming extremely unpopular. And yet the Bible's instruction to us is to fight for justice and to fight for righteousness and, and to let that burn inside of you so much that you're, you're willing to do these crazy things for God. When I think about the ocean, now I grew up around the ocean, so the ocean is a very important place to me. I lived about 15 minutes from the ocean. But the ocean to me is a perfect picture of li our life with God because it's there's aspects of the ocean that are so dangerous, you know, in little, little ways and big ways. You know, I've been stung by probably like 20 jellyfish in my lifetime, I think, 20, maybe more than that. My feet have been cut. I've been pulled out by riptides. Uh, my sister almost died once in a riptide. I have a good friend from high school that her son got paralyzed from the ocean, just was out surfing and boom, crashed. And so I know the danger of it, and I know the, that, that, you know, it doesn't mean that everything is going to go well with you when you go in the ocean. <laughs> you know, bad stuff can happen in the ocean. But then I think about the ocean and the joy that it brings to me. When I get up on that crest of the wave, and when I look out over the beach, and, and, and the reflections I have of God in the ocean, and, and watching my kids learn to swim there and, and fight their fears of drowning, and, you know, just so many beautiful parts of the ocean and, you know, that, that is also there. And that's how our life with God is, in following him in our, in our divine moments. Because each of us will have them, and we, we have them every day. It's not even when we'll have them. It's, it's every day we have them. And, but we don't always choose to participate with God and to be that doorway that God's spirit wants to come through and to touch the world. But each of us have those moments. And, you know, we have to really prepare ourselves for those moments and really 
make ourselves ready to, to be that vessel and to be that conduit of God's spirit and his presence to the earth. And what are the ways that we can do that? To be faithful, to be good stewards, right? With whatever he gives us, whatever, whatever thing, whatever monetarily, whatever person, whatever uh, ministry, whatever anything he gives us, that we just shepherd it. You know, I loved hearing when I got back from break that some of you were out preaching in churches and, and doing these awesome things for God and just shepherd, stewarding the gifts that God's given you. And some of you are writers, you know, and you're, you've got your own blog pages and you're, you know, you're stepping out and you're, you're stewarding the gifts that God has given you. Some of you are prophetic and you're praying for each other and you're prophesying, you're stewarding the gifts that God's given you. It's the best thing you can be doing right now. And submitting, letting God speak. Letting God, God speaks to us all the time, right? But we're just not always listening to that voice. And to be very, very quick, very, very quick to listen, very quick to obey. You know, for me personally, you know, there's some things that, that when God tells me to do them, I have to just quickly commit or I will talk myself out of it. I will. I will. I, public speaking is one of them. <laughs> and, and if I think about it too long, I'm like, I don't really want to do that. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. You know, it's, you got to mentally get there, you know, to do it. And, but, but we got to push. We got to push. When God speaks, we got to do it. We got to, we got to not hesitate, right? You want to be that, that, uh, that loser like I was, right, coming down the, the hill. <laughs> you don't want to retreat, you know, because, oh, I don't want danger. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't, I, what if, the, you know, I lose something or my reputation or finances or, or something, right? We don't, we don't want that. So I want to just take a few minutes. Maybe the worship team could come up. And, and I just want us to really begin to, to take that step with God. And part of taking that step is just, sometimes it's just a quiet reflection in our heart that says, God, I'm willing to be used by you. It's a simple prayer. And, you know, oftentimes we think, oh, well, we have to have, uh, you know, everything's got to be perfect in our life. We can't ever say a curse word. Oh, my goodness, if we do, oh, we're just terrible people. You know, we can't ever mess up. Uh, we can't ever, you know, yell at somebody, and, and we can't ever, you know, do bad things. It's not at all what God's saying. He just says, be willing to be, to be used. Be available. Be that doorway. Be that doorway that I can walk through to touch my people because he loves his people. He loves his people. And, and, and if we had waited for perfection, if I waited for perfection for God to use me, I probably would never be used by God. If I look back over my life, oh my goodness. It's like, it's like people that say, well, I can't get married because I've got too many issues in my life. I'm sorry, guys, but we always have some issue. <laughs> issues, issues don't just go away completely in our life because we settle one and there's another thing there that pops up, right? Because we're in process, all of us. From glory to glory to glory, it, it takes a lifetime to be perfected. So don't let that be an excuse. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I, I don't have what it takes, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not gifted enough. Steward the gift. Steward the gift that God's given you. Be available.
So if you want to just, with me, utter that prayer before the Lord, just, just take a stand and, and just say to the Lord, I want to be used by you, God. I want to be that divine doorway that you situate in places and in peoples that, that nobody else can be there but me. That I have the experience, I have the connections, I have the personality to be the one that touches those people. So the prayer of my heart today is, God, use me. Don't let it be another person that you use instead of me because I wasn't willing, because I retreated. Lord, use me. Let my life be an offering. Let me be the doorway that you step down and touch your people. Reveal your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be the prayer of our hearts today, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven.